Take out your swords. We're going to see one tonight, and in fact, we're going to see the one who wields uh, that sword as we continue our journey along here with the seven churches. Uh, our fourth part, our third church, the church at Pergamos. And as we continue these churches, again, we want to always keep in view that the Lord is speaking to us right now, tonight, here in this place, every bit as much as he was speaking uh, at that time to John, as John writes these things down, as these letters would go forth to a literal church uh, in modern-day Turkey. And so this period of time that's being referred to was a fairly lengthy period of time, uh, around 300 years, and that 300-year period uh, began in about 312, ended in about 606, and so uh, this is a time that we could, we could look at the church and go, they started off well. They understood right doctrine. And part of the problem with the church in the world today is we have a plethora of tools for us available to be able to teach right doctrine, to rightly understand the word of truth. And yet, it is in fact the word that is in grave danger even in the world today. Because right and left, we're watching denominational church after denominational church abandon the plain teaching of God's Word. And they're trading it for tradition. They're trading it for existential thought. They're, they're trading it for uh, that which we would call uh, a, a, a doctrine of tolerance. We just tolerate absolutely everything. It's got to be of the Lord. And so this particular church... Uh, was a very faulty church. It was also a clerically led church. And, and again, I'm going to be very careful tonight as I use some words that can be misinterpreted. That's not to say that everyone who wears a collar uh, is of the devil, okay? I had somebody come to me after last week and said, well, you know, you kind of were rough. I said, no, that isn't what I said at all. What I said was, if you are a false teacher, you're a false teacher. And false teachers need to be called out by pastors. That's part of our job. We, we have been called to preach the truth because it is error that damns men's souls to hell. And, and so you have to preach the truth. We want to preach that truth in love, however. And we want to make sure that people understand fully and completely that when we make a distinction, when I make a distinction about some group, there are always people within that group if they have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they have given their lives to Jesus truly, they have repented of their sin, that they are indeed children of God. And so when I tell you that the Presbyterian Church USA has abandoned the Word of God, it's because they have literally announced within their own doctrine and within their organization that they no longer hold that the Bible is without error. It's not the truth anymore. It's a book of good suggestions. The same is true for the Lutheran Church in America. Very large portions of it have also abandoned the teaching of God's Word and clung to the doctrine of a group of men as opposed to the Word that came from the Lord. Now in saying that, we got wonderful Lutheran brothers and sisters who love Jesus and they're going to heaven. And wonderful pastors who pastor Lutheran churches. But the denominations as a whole 
have made some serious errors. Chief among them is ordaining gay pastors. Just got to say it like it is, folks. That's going to offend some. But the fact of the matter is, God's word clearly defines that in the beginning he created men and he created women. And then in Genesis chapter 2, he defined what marriage is. And he said, for this reason, that a man would be joined together with his wife. And so when scripture clearly defines what that is, and we say, well, we don't want that, we want something else, we are in doctrinal error that must be confronted. And so there are many things in the book of Revelation that people don't like to hear. And so as we speak forth those truths, it's not intended to inflict undue harm. I am attempting to bring forth the truth of what God's word says. That is my job. They were a clerical church. They cared more about what the leadership said than what scripture says. And they were a papal church. And I will get to this in a moment. And the moment I say that, I have people, (gasps) deep breath, you know, what's he going to say next? (laughs) I'm going to speak the truth. I can't do anything other. And any man that tells you his word supersede the word is not speaking the word, but his word. And his word can't save. And his word is not necessarily truth. And so when the word of man differs with the word of God, we choose always and forever the word of God. Amen? Amen. We pick up tonight in verse 12. And before we do so, let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would clarify in our hearts and in our minds your truth. God, that you would condense it and that you'd allow us to take it in that we might grow. And Lord, as we look at these ages of church history and as we look at the the conditions that have existed throughout the time that the church has been on this earth, and as we look at our world today, these same errors exist in the church today. And God, it shames you. Lord, it causes people to stumble and to fall. And some may even miss the message of the cross because of it. And so, Lord, we ask that you would take us tonight... Uh, right into your throne room. God, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. We ask it in his wonderful and holy and blessed name. Amen. Verse 12. The angel to the church at Pergamos write, and again, angels, pastors, messengers, these things, says he, who has a sharp two-edged sword. You're going to notice something here. In each one of these introductions, the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit, giving the word to John, gives himself some moniker, some name, some way that we can identify who it is that's speaking and some very specific point that is trying to be brought forth. We know what the sharp two-edged sword is. Amen? It is the word of God that is the sharp two-edged sword. 
It is the word that divides between soul and spirit and joint and marrow. It is truth. It's not negotiable, by the way. What God's word plainly teaches, it plainly teaches. We may not like what it says, but it says what it says. It's not for us to edit because we don't like it. We take it as we is, as it is, and we believe what it says. And so he says, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works, and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Again, you'll notice life was not easy. It was hard. It was difficult. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith. Notice whose faith it is. It wasn't a denomination's faith. It was faith in him. There's exactly one gospel. There aren't two. There aren't ten. There isn't one set of doctrinal paradigm that needs to be believed over another. There's one gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He alone is the way. He alone is the truth. He alone is the only way that leads unto salvation. His name is the only name whereby men may be saved. There's only one doctrinal stance on salvation, as far as the Bible is concerned. And so he says very plainly, it's my faith. Even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, was killed among you. And this is not Herod Antipas, the one that uh, is in the story of the life of our Savior. This is a significantly later time. It is a, an, a bishop that was the bishop of Pergamos. Little is known about him, but he did in fact lose his life, recorded by the historian Tertullian, as he wrote in his memoirs that he was literally put inside of a hollowed-out bull, a bronze bull, and roasted alive. I've known some pastors who've had some hard times. Never have I heard of one having that happen to them. Where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. And notice again, there's some commendation followed by some condemnation. Because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. And then he goes on to give us some insight into what those things are to eat the things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Whenever the church has compromised by worshiping idols of any kind, and that can be statues in a hallway, that can be material things, that can be more food than we need, whatever your idol happens to be, when the church has been infected by idol worship of any kind, and then it's coupled with sexual immorality, that church is on death's door. Because that's not a church that's pleasing to the Lord. That is a church that's in very grave trouble. And the problem with those two sins coupled together is that they often cause the church to become so diluted that they are no longer a force in the world for the gospel. Because sin begets sin. And sinful behavior is often not exposed, but rather uh, concealed 
by those who are engaged in it because you don't want to have your own sin exposed uh, so you don't expose anyone else's and so you make a wonderful sin club yeah it's okay I know you divorced your wife because she burned the cookies but you know I mean come on bro everybody knows who wants burned cookies and before you know it we're listening to Oprah we're listening to Dr. Phil and that's where we get our doctrine from. Instead of getting our doctrines from the two-edged sword, we get our doctrines from some doctor of philosophy. And so he said, Thus you also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Remember, he's already told us, which I hate. Christ, in fact, does hate certain things and by default if you happen to be the purveyor of those certain things you were on the short list for the Lord make no mistake about it the Lord does not like he hates false teaching and if you're engaged in false teaching you fall into that category do the math he loves the lost he wants repentance but he is against those who teach falsely. And he says, repent, or else I'll come to you quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He says, look, I'll simply use the word to defeat you, because the word is sufficient. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give of the hidden manna to eat. Interesting, as we live our lives on this earth, how the Lord gives hidden riches to those who persevere in the Lord and who have the, the honesty and the integrity of character to carry on his name when it's not easy. And I will give to him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And so clearly, I want to again make the distinction. There are many blessed, wonderfully saved, beautiful people who love the Lord Jesus, who are going to heaven, who happen to call themselves Catholic. And so what I want to talk about as I talk about this is simply the false doctrine of the Catholic Church. This was the beginning of the Catholic Church as we know it. It was known at the time as the Roman Church, it would progress to later become called the Roman Catholic Church. It is not to say that every Roman Catholic is in a false church. I have met with priests who love the Lord Jesus and who preach the real gospel. So make that very clear in your hearts and minds. Do not accuse me of bashing every Catholic because that's not what I'm doing. But I will tell you that the doctrine, the official doctrine of the Catholic Church says you can't be saved unless you are baptized as a Catholic. That's the official doctrine. That comes from the Second Vatican Council. That doesn't come from Jeff. You have to be baptized as a Catholic in order to be saved. I don't believe my Bible teaches that. Matter of fact, my Bible doesn't say you have to be baptized at all to be saved. It is something we should do, however. And so we have to make that distinction. 
the doctrine of papal infallibility, which began during this period of time. Simply because some man writes something that they believe is true and passes it around in an encyclical letter or a papal bulla does not make it truth relative to the word of God. It may even be a great idea. Might even be something that has a measure of truth to it. But that's exactly how the doctrines of purgatory came about. It's how the doctrines of indulgences came about. It's the very thing that Martin Luther began to fight against in the 1500s because he looked at the abuses and he looked at the wealth of the church itself and of those who called themselves ministers of God who were living lives of royalty while the people were starving to death in the valley below. And so again, you can go to www.catholic.com. You can actually ask the question. The official catechism of the Catholic Church says, and I quote, those who knowingly and deliberately, not out of ignorance or innocence, commit sins of heresy, divinely rejecting the revealed doctrine, Catholic doctrine, or enter into schism, separating from the Catholic Church and joining a schismatic church, which we would be one of those. No salvation is possible unless they repent and again join to the Catholic Church. That's the official doctrine. That is heresy. Pure and simple. Your Bible doesn't teach it. And so anybody that tells you that you have salvation by an organization is not teaching correct doctrine. Correct doctrine matters. Because if you cause people to believe they have to join this church or any other church, or if they have to be baptized to be saved, you are leading them astray. That's the issue at hand here in Pergamos. So I'm heading to purgatory for a very long time. <laughs> and the reason I say that is that's how nonsensical it actually is. So the way we make that right, the way we make that just, is by creating some other doctrinal fallacy. Because one doesn't work all the way, we have to come up with something else. And so you begin to build doctrine on doctrine instead of building your doctrine on what the Word plainly teaches. And I realize that I would probably offended some, even in this room tonight. It's not my intent. It is simply to say that the Word of God determines what our doctrine is, not our doctrine determining how we interpret the Word of God. And that's why we see here the sharp two-edged sword. You see, when we stick to the Word, we find ourselves relatively free of error. We can have all kinds of ways that we apply the Word, but the Word says what it says, it means what it says. And so this sword, which is the Word of God, is the standard by which we judge truth. And the church enjoyed that. And in fact, for about 300 years, the sword of truth 
was breaking down the bondages. The sword of truth was teaching people how to live godly in Christ Jesus. And all of a sudden, what happens is the church joins with the state, and now there's a state religion. And that state religion, instead of affecting the state in a way that changed it and transformed it, now you have the religion being transformed by the state. Don't say that. Don't do that. You can't go there. You mean you don't believe that the emperor of Rome is actually a god? You see, this was the Roman world. The emperors were to believe, believe to have godlike status. And yet your Bible says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Amen? Amen. So is Caesar God or is God God? God is God. And so the church began to accept, well, you know, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, if you want to have the best cuts of meat, if you want to not pay inordinate taxes, if you want to be okay with the governor, if you want to be all right with mankind, then we need to bend what the Word of God says to fit our culture. Does it sound like a world that you live in? We need to take the truth of God's word. Well, you can't really say that. I mean, that's intolerant. Just give you a clue. There's an awful lot of the word of God that's intolerant of an awful lot of the way people in the world live today. Amen? It was intentionally so because those things destroy people's lives. Anybody that tells you that fornication helps your life is a liar. Anybody that tells you that being drunk helps your life is a liar. Anyone who tells you that you need to lie all the time is also a liar. (laughs) Truth is truth. God said what he meant, meant what he said. It's not our job to tell him what he meant. It is our job to do what he said. We need that sharp two-edged sword. And, And the pagan religion of Rome was absolutely doing it the opposite way. Forget what the sword says. So let's just make up our own little stories here. By the time Augustine of Hippo would come on the scene, no longer was the word an absolute. He was told, stop preaching that way. And by the time all was said and done, he was killed. As he wrote his book, Confessions and Retractions, and, and he began... Uh, what would lead to the Reformation. Uh, By the time reformers like John Calvin got on the scene and Martin Luther, they're they're realizing that what Augustine of Hippo stood for that cost him his life was absolutely true. That it was all about the Word. And so Pergamos was in that area of the world where this church was birthed. And all of a sudden, there was a state religion, and that state religion was controlled by the state, And it was no longer the word of God that was sanctified. It was the word of God that was changed in any way, shape, or form that Rome felt it needed to be changed. And I say to you, that is the world that we live in to this day. That is the attack on the church. We're going to see the Supreme Court rule likely within the next three, four weeks, maybe month, on the issue of gay marriage. I know what my Bible says. Very clear on the issue. And by the way, that doesn't mean that we don't love people 
who are homosexuals. We must do that. We absolutely have to love people who are trapped in all manner of sin. But it's still sin. And I can't bless that union as a pastor who knows what God's word says. And so if I'm forced to do that, they're going to need to take me to jail. And then Pastor Rob will get up, Pastor Dennis will get up, and we'll just keep doing it until there's nobody left. Not because I hate people who are gay, but because I love them, and I know that that is sin, and I know that if you continue in sin, that you have a real tough time saying, how can you continue any longer in these things that you've been delivered from if you're truly a child of God? And so it's not about hating anybody, it's believing that God said what he meant and meant what he said. He didn't say it once. He said it multiples of times. 1 Corinthians says the same thing Romans says. Same, same thing Deuteronomy says. Exactly the same thing. We're getting to that day and time. And the Lord's going to judge every church for how they stand on the truth. And in that day and time, the Romans had built a a shrine to Ascalepus, the god of medicine. They built another shrine uh, to Zeus Soter, to Ascalepus Soter, to uh, Athena Nicolepus. The, all these shrines, again, same thing that, that we see going on throughout all of Asia Minor. The church lost its power because it lost its love for God's word. And if we want to have power in our world today, it's not going to be because of me. It's going to be because God's word is true and everybody that doesn't believe it is believing the lie. God's word has power. It transforms life. They had persecuted Christians on every street corner in that city. And so Jesus depicts himself in this title. He is the one who has a sharp two-edged sword. And Jesus ultimately is going to judge his church and he judges all churches. And I, and I want you to understand this. He knows the good in every church. And that's why when I tell you there are wonderful, God-fearing, Christ-honoring, lovely people. And all these things that I've mentioned, there are people who truly love Jesus in every last one of them. There are, without a doubt. But when you gather people together and you feed them false doctrine long enough, pretty soon most of them don't love Jesus. They love something else. And it's not Jesus. God's going to judge those churches. He's going to judge me for how I have picked up and led this church. And I fear the Lord. I don't fear what man can do to me. I fear what God can do to me. And I'm going to be pleasing to Him. That may put me at odds with some folks. If it does, I pray it's an opportunity to preach the truth to those who are in prison. Verse 13 says, I know your works and where you dwell. I know where you're at. You see, Satan's throne, I believe in this case, was actually a reference to the Roman courts of law because they had superseded church. 
They had gone to the place, look, you cannot say that. You can't tell people they're sinners. I mean, it cuts down on our alcohol tax. You, you can't tell them to stop fornicating. How are we going to sell all this stuff that we put on the Internet? You, you can't tell them that God's not going to bless every, as long as you're committed and you love each other. You see, if you do that, you're going to take away tax dollars. Be careful. Because what God said, God meant. Godless men enacting godless laws absolutely doesn't change the truth. And that right doctrine is supposed to lead to righteous living in the church. Amen? That's why it is that two-edged sword. And as we look at those things, we get to a couple of examples. And the first one is the doctrine of Balaam. And as you think of Balaam, you know, it's kind of... I don't know how, I'm not sure how I would respond to being the only guy in the Bible who got into an argument with a donkey and lost. But the doctrine of Balaam, as Balaam and Balak get together and they're, they're beginning this whole concept, if you will, of, hey, let's try and mess up the children of Israel. You know, it is, it is insane for us to think that God isn't going to, to punish every false teacher the same way he, he does here. And so it's important for us to see it. I have a few things against you because it says in verse 14, you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Now, we have God, I have a, I'll just share with you. I have sat down with pastors who I have had me, had, had, this, had them tell me that they believed there was nothing wrong with pornography. As long as it enhanced your marriage. I've had pastors tell me, well, you know what? If somebody really wants to have a cocktail party, who am I to step on their liberty? Ah, because scripture says that you're not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. Because we're not to do anything that alters our state of mind to where the enemy might be able to get in and trash us? To where we're not to open up our minds to thoughts that shouldn't be there because there's already enough of them already? Amen? Uh, I don't need any help sinning, okay? In Jesus' name. But I've sat across the table from pastors trying to explain these things, and they always say the same thing. Well, you know, the world has changed. That's like saying, well, you know, the toilet flushed. <laughs> it's true. It, it, yeah, okay, the world's changed. But sin is still sin. We've just simply figured out how to do it better. In that sense, the doctrine of Balaam, the false teaching, putting stumbling blocks before people to where they worship false idols, like money. It's a false idol. It's great. If you have a bunch of it, praise the Lord. But if it's your God, 
You need to get rid of it. How about the how about the how about the false god of self? Amen. How many people are infected with that idolatry in our world? You don't have to go very far. Drive, you know, 25 miles that way. It's like people trying to stay, you know, they've had so many facelifts that now their scalp is on their back. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's the God of self, isn't it? I'm not getting old. Frankenstein's bride looked better than that. You, you, you see, we do have false gods in our world. And you can turn on the television, you can see some of them. How about some of our sports figures? Amen? Those are the people our kids are emulating. I want to be like A-Rod. In Jesus' name, please know. Why don't you be like the God, not A-Rod? And again... Not trying to bag on every sport. We've got some wonderful Christian sports figures throughout all of sports. But they're few and far between. How about the gangsta rap? How about that? Calling the woman in your life something that I wouldn't call somebody I hate. Using language that you don't use in the bathroom. That in my day and time, you'd be eating a bar of zest. Come on over here, boy. (laughs) Clean that. You gonna kiss your mama with that or what? I have a lot of relatives from the South, so I can lay it down fairly low. You see what I'm saying? You understand? You understand what I'm getting at? Yeah, see, we, oh, well, I don't have any like little gods in my living room or anything. There's no little silver statues or gold statues or wooden idols. I do have a tiki. <laughs> you, you see, but we do have false gods. Because a false god defined in your Bible is anything you worship other than the Lord. Anything that takes his place. So that is whatever you are thinking about most of the time. That's where you lay up your treasure. That's your God. That's how you invest your time, your talent, and your treasure. And for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? And so however you invest yourself could be a false god. And you mix that with immorality. And the word that's used here is a common, very common Greek word. It's the Greek word poronea. And people, well, you know, it's, it's just, it's the wrong kind of sex. No, it's sex at all outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. It's all of it. Whatever flavor it is, it's wrong outside of marriage as defined by God. Not because you're in a committed relationship. Not because you 
live together for, well, we've lived together for five years, so it, of course God approves. Uh, no, he doesn't. The way you get his approval is by taking the relationship to him and saying, look, we're going to do it your way, and then we're going to ask you to bless it, and then we'll take the blessings of you blessing it. You don't get the blessings before he blesses it. You see, but the world says, well, you know. I mean, after all, everybody lives that way. There are more unmarried, cohabitating people today in America than married couples. God help us. Because every one of those uncommitted relationships, and that's exactly what they are, that's why they don't get married. Every one of those uncommitted relationships is an opportunity for a child to grow up without a mom or a dad. And whether you look at the social data, or whether you look at the monetary data, or especially if you look at the biblical data, or the psychological data, kids develop best when raised by a mom and a dad. Not two people who play house. A mom who loves dad and a dad who loves mom and that dad would give his life for mom. But, you know, pretty popular church, the church of fornication. Think about it today. Can you imagine? I'm pretty sure it'd be well attended. Very sad. But that church exists today in our world. We just kind of shuffle it off to the side. Pastors that don't stay married to their wives. Wives that don't stay married to their husbands. Need to hear the truth. We need to live the truth. And let me tell you this. The devil always attempts to ruin the church from within the church. Because see, if he can get us to do it ourselves, saves him a lot of trouble. We just start preaching false doctrine. People believe it. Before you know it, they're off doing whatever. Because they'll find plenty of people to agree with them. Amen? That's why I'm always amazed when people take their false doctrine, they, they go try and find a few folks who agree with them. That's not exactly difficult. Go take your false doctrine, pull out your Bible and see where it stands. You see the doctrine of Balaam still with us. How about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Same deal. Balaam said, if you can't curse them, corrupt them. The Nicolaitans, very same type of thought process because what they basically believed is you could separate the human condition into two pieces. And that human condition could be uh, turned into one that was largely mental and or spiritual and one that was physical. And so it didn't matter what you did to the physical body because after all the physical body was going to die someday. And so as long as you thought happy thoughts, as long as you believed it was true, as long as you just invested your mental power in believing it, 
It had to be okay. And that is exactly the world we live in today. You hold to those things which I hate, he says, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Though there's not a lot of direct uh, implication in Scripture, but basically the command to the Gentile churches by the Jerusalem Council that was made in AD 50, he says you should refrain from those things, sacrifice to idols. That was a key component of it. Why? Because what you condone in your own life, you encourage other people to engage in. That's why. So when you take a light stance on divorce, everyone you know gets the message you take a light stand on divorce. When you socially drink and get drunk, everyone you know, believer or non, says, hey, that's what Christians do. When you won't wait to be married to engage in sexual activity, you are telling everybody you know that it is okay with God to do that. When you engage in drug abuse, you're telling everybody you know that God approves. Hey, you know, what's a little weed here or there? I mean, come on, it's an herb. You see, what you condone, you cause other people to believe is okay with God. Tremendous disservice to those around you. And when you have the same pagan laxity that exists in the pagans, then the world doesn't know what salt or light looks like. All of a sudden, there is no salt. There is no light. There's just another sack of dirt with a Christian name on it. We're supposed to be different. The world's supposed to be able to look at us and say there is a marked difference in the behavior of the church than there is those in the world. It's not as long as we're sincere. People are sincere about all kinds of crazy stuff. Amen? Having grown up in East San Diego County in my teenage years, we actually had a place down in Campo where there was a whole group of people from the Unitarian Church. They bought a hilltop, and they had all of these PVC plastic pipe things put together where there were energy vortexes, and then they built a tower that was supposed to be a landing spot for UFOs. And they believed it. Spent like a million bucks out there. Sitting in their lawn chairs and their plastic things going, I think I'm getting it right now. Got some vortex going on. They believed it. People believe all kinds of crazy stuff. Wholeheartedly, and they put their life into it. It doesn't make it true. Truth is judged by its standing over time. Amen? God's word is true. It remains true. You see, so God finally says to them, look, you need to repent or else. Paul said, hey, don't eat meat if it stumbles my brother. It's great advice for us. I get asked some crazy questions. And very often by teenagers, it goes along this line. How close can I get to the cliff before I drop in and die? I get asked all the time, well, if I have one beer, is that okay? But, you know, three and a half, that's bad. If I have a shot with it, does that matter? You know, if I don't inhale, is that okay? (laughs) 
We didn't go all the way. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. The church needs to call sin, sin. So that when your friends come to you and they ask you that question, you know what? If eating that piece of meat is going to stumble you, then I just became a vegetarian. God, please no. God doesn't give you leeway to interpret scripture so it fits your lifestyle, okay? There's no like little clause there. Well, you can, you can go that far, but no, he simply says, the Lord, your God, is holy. Be therefore holy as God is holy. It's not that hard. Now, do we fail at that? Of course. But it shouldn't be your goal to be a failure. You see, the Nicolaitans tried to fail. They worked very hard at seeing how much sinning they could get in and at without transgressing something that God said. And the fact of the matter is, is after a while, everything you're doing is sin because your motivation's wrong. And so he says, repent, repent, or else I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. You see, when you pull out the sword and you start to tell people the truth, my job is not to try and convince people, it's just simply to preach it. It's to teach it. It's to say, look, that says the Lord. I'm sorry, it says it, period. I, I don't have to go any further than that. Somebody wants to disagree, they, they're disagreeing with God. I don't have a problem with them disagreeing with me. But when you disagree with God, you're going to come up on the short end. You're going to draw the short straw 100% of the time. And if you don't hear, do it here, you will do it there. And you do not want to do it there. If I'm right, God's word is true, and it says these things are thus and so, and you lived your life that way, what's the worst thing that could happen to you? Wow, I didn't have as many Budweiser's as I wanted. I had to stay married to the same woman for 40 years. Praise God, that's exactly what he wants out of us. Amen? And so, the world's view is, well, you know, you might miss out on something. Is there anything here that you could miss out on that would actually have eternal implication? The answer is no. So the only thing you're missing out on is the stuff that's staying right here. Repent. And in fact, Jesus himself was intolerant of what we call modern tolerance. False beliefs. He goes on to say, look, listen up. Who's willing to hear? He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, will give him the hidden manna and give him a white stone. And on that stone is a name, a new name written, which no one except him who receives it knows. He challenges them. He challenges their system of perception. And I want to really make this clear to you. 
He's not just saying, look, listen up with your ear. He's saying, look, listen up with your ear, see with your eye, hear with your, hear with your heart, hear with your mind. Get these things not simply because someone said them to you, but you test them and see if they're not true. He's saying, look, this is truth. You may not like it, but it's not a message to which you can be indifferent. You have to use your whole system of perception. You need to go home and study your own Bible. You need to read it. Find out what it says. And he says to those people, he's going to give a couple of very special things. Some hidden manna, some hidden bread. Everybody, by the way, can have that hidden bread if they're willing to be an overcomer. It's not something special. It was just for a group of people. It was a special thing offered to everyone who was an overcomer. To anyone who overcomes would have the hidden manna. You're going to understand things that the world doesn't understand. You're going to see it through spiritual eyes. The bread of life will be applied to your life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Amen? He's promised us that spiritual enrichment, that nourishment that only comes from him when we submit ourselves. Blessings, beloved, come from obedience. If you want, it's just simple, very simple. If you want God's blessings, be obedient how it works and he says finally I'll give you a white stone and, and to understand that you need to know what happened in a court during those days especially a religious court very often they would take uh, what looks like a sack basically a bag a leather bag normally and they would put two stones in there one black and one white and the black stone was guilty the white stone you're free so the implication is, I will give you a white stone signifying that you're free, you're righteous in Christ. And on that is a name that other people don't get. It's the new you. For behold, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. Old things are passing away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen. The new you. As someone who sees the new you, the white you, the righteous in Christ you, not your own righteousness, is his. He gives you the hidden manna. He gives you the white sun. Those who overcome in Christ. Resisting sin. God blesses us. When we resist sin, and anybody that's in here that's walked with the Lord for a long time, you have these things in your life, and they're repetitive. They come back. It's an area, maybe it's an area of weakness. But you know that feeling you get when you resist the devil and he flees? That spot in your life where you know you're weak, you know you've got something going on, and you just do what the Lord tells you to do, and that thought comes, that test comes, and you're just praying your heart out, and the Lord is faithful and delivers, and you're going, thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. You're going to walk in that truth. And all of a sudden, you have that special intimacy with the Lord. It's like you and Jesus, and you're like this. It's like, yeah, we got him. It's like the devil. What did James say? If you resist the devil, he will flee. Amen? That special intimacy between you and Christ. He's saying, look, you want my power, do it my way. 
And if you do it my way, you're going to experience things you never thought you would experience. When the manna fell in the Old Testament picture, Moses and Aaron, remember, collected it. They collected a pot. That's one of the three things that will be inside the Ark of the Covenant when it's revealed. You have the Ten Commandments. You have a pot with manna inside of it and Aaron's rod that budded. Those are the three things that were inside of the Ark. But the manna in the pot was hidden. It was hidden manna. Where was it hidden? In the presence of God underneath the Ark of the Covenant. It's where it is. You want to know where the hidden manna is? It's in Jesus. You want to know where the white stone is? It's in Jesus. You get those things by being in him. He gives them to you as a gift. As John 6 says, eat of that bread of life, you'll never hunger. Eat of that bread of life, you'll always have understanding when you need it. You'll always have wisdom when you want it. And so he says, look, I'll give you these two final things. You want to walk as an overcomer? Be intimate with the Lord and be righteous with the Lord. You do those two things, you're going to be okay. You won't be perfect, but you're going to be okay. And when you get to heaven, then you're going to be perfect. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we, just as your people, Lord, I, I know that there have been some tonight, that, that it's been a tough message, Lord. It's been hard to hear. Maybe they're struggling right now in their walk with you. And Lord, none of these things have been said tonight to discourage, but to draw attention to your holiness. And there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death. And Lord, we don't want anybody going that way. And so I want to pray tonight that Perhaps somebody here is just struggling with a, with a sin issue. They, they've had that issue a long time. Lord, I just want to pray that they would come forward tonight and be prayed for. Lord, they just leave it at the cross. In you we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And we declare that as your people. Pray that you would work in our midst tonight, God, that you would save the lost. Pray if there's anyone here. Maybe they believed in salvation by organization. Maybe they believed that their sins can only be washed away by the intercession of another human being who's also sinful. God, your word doesn't declare that. There's nothing that can wash away our sin but the blood of Jesus. And we thank you for that. Lord, tonight we ask that you would minister in our midst to our deepest needs. God, thank you that your great promise to us is those who are overcomers will have that hidden manna, that special manna, and that white stone. Father God, we thank you for that truth. We invite you to make it real in our lives. Lord, help us to do our part to live godly in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said...